You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. I said a lot of people are out of town, a lot of people are traveling, and personally, I hate traveling. I am not a fan of road trips. I'm not a fan of flying on planes. Uh, I was talking to someone that had a 14-hour drive back home, and that just sounds like torture to someone like me. I hate just sitting in one spot the entire time. And I've even told Chris, uh, I went to a conference recently, and I was just like, I did not like it because I was just sitting in a chair for like 12 hours throughout the day, and it just, it was so boring to me. There was lots of good stuff that the preacher was saying, but like I have to get up and move around. And so uh, I, I just, I don't like traveling, but I love going to new destinations. I love going and visiting different cultures or even learning about new cultures. And today we are going to be in the city of Rome. That's where our passage takes place. And I've always wanted to go to Rome. It's got the Roman Colosseum. It's got the Pantheon. It was the center of the Roman Empire. Uh, it has a large network of catacombs underneath the city, which some people think that's really weird, that's really creepy, but I'm like, I would love to do that. That sounds awesome. And so uh, our passage does not come with all of these views. Our passage does not come with a very uh, happy insight at first. We're actually uh, reading Paul's letter from where he is in prison in Rome. And Paul is in prison for proclaiming the name of God, for proclaiming the gospel. And authorities told him to be silent, but he said no and continued to preach the gospel. And so the Roman authorities threw him in a house, and he is under house arrest at this time. And so it says in Acts that he was under house arrest for two years. And I know uh, a lot of us probably have different feelings now, but before, I kind of thought house arrest would be fun. Like, you get to stay home all day. You don't really have to go out and do anything else. And I know a lot of people that probably would like that. And then we had COVID, and one week into it, under house arrest pretty much, everyone's just going out of their minds, have cabin fever. And I think a lot of us would say we don't want to go back to that. And my favorite part was, I know that personally, I'm sorry, parents, if you feel like I'm an influence uh, when I say this, but I hated school. I hated high school growing up. It's important. You have to do it. Kids, you have to do it. I promise. All right. But I just, I didn't like it. And I would have loved the opportunity to say like, oh, I'm, I wish I was at homeschool. I always said that. I wish I was homeschooled. I hated just going to the school. And I know, uh, Kelby's little brother, uh, who is in high school now, he was the same way. He, he did not like school at all. And two months into quarantine, I remember him saying, man, I, I can't wait to go back to school. I can't wait to go back to school and see all my friends. I miss some of my teachers. And to me, I never would have thought that he would have said that. But yet here he is just two months in, and he's ready to go back to the thing that he said he hated for so long. But so... Uh, during the time of quarantine, I don't think many people were very rejoiceful of that situation. A lot of us were not joyful of uh, being trapped inside of our house. And so I want us to see in Philippians 1, 12 through 18, that Paul is exhibiting a different behavior. He is joyful in this experience. And so 
instead of complaining about this situation, he's rejoicing and encouraging his fellow believers in Philippi. So let's read Philippians 1, 12 through 18. Verse 12, it says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually resulted in the advance of the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is in the cause of Christ. Most of the brothers and the Lord have gained confidence from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the message fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and strife, but others out of goodwill. These do so out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely seeking to cause me anxiety in my imprisonment. What does it matter? So that in every way, whether out of false motive or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in, that, in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. And so I want us to kind of look at what's going on here. How does Paul rejoice in this time of imprisonment? Because I feel like a lot of us would not do this. A lot of us would probably be very upset with God. God was the one that told him to go to Rome and to share the gospel. And Paul did exactly what God told him to do. And now he's thrown in prison. And so Paul could have been sulking. Paul could have been upset with God. But instead he says, I rejoice in this situation. And so looking at this letter, we will see how Paul finds joy even in the storms of life. So here are three things that we can know in order to share the same joy that Paul does even in the midst of the storm. The first one is knowing God's placement. Paul knows exactly where God has put him because God is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's omnipotent. He's all-present. He knows exactly what is going on in your life, in your situation at every moment. It doesn't catch him off guard. It doesn't surprise him. He doesn't just look down at your life one day and be like, ooh, he got himself into a mess. No, he knows exactly what is going on. And even though it might surprise us at times of something that comes up, if a storm comes into our life, it does not surprise God at all. And God has you there for a very specific reason or for a specific purpose. God may have you there in that circumstance to help you grow and become more mature in your faith. I know in the Psalms and Proverbs, it talks about how God is our refuge. He's our strength. He's our shelter. When the storms of life come, we're supposed to run towards God. But sometimes we think that we can do everything on our own. We think that, hey, my life is going good. I'm doing great. I have the best plan for my life. And that's not what God wants us to do. God wants us to be relying on him. And so there might be times where God might have a storm in your life, not to cause you misery, but to point back and say, hey, you don't rely on yourself in this life. You're supposed to rely on me. And during those storms, we look toward our shelter, our strength, our refuge. And that's what it does. Those storms help point us back to God. Another way it can help you is uh, you can help others get through and can encourage them with how you came out through that situation. I know a lot of people struggle with sin. A lot of people have struggles in life with different storms, and 
A lot of us have the exact same struggles or the exact same storms. And someone that has gone through it can help someone else come out of it. I know uh, this past weekend, I went caving with a bunch of friends in Alabama. And it's not a typical, like, uh, tourist cave that you can just kind of, like, waltz into. Uh, my friend knows a guy that has, like, a private cave. And he has a key to make sure that, like, no one can get in there. Um, and it's, it's really fun. I love it. Uh, it's not for everyone, but we like kind of playing a prank on one of the new people. Whenever there's a new person, we always try to trick them. And uh, to do everything in a small group, it takes about three and a half to four hours to go through the whole cave. And really, it's a giant loop. Uh, but the person that's new doesn't really know this. And so we go through at the very end and we start talking about like, oh yeah, did you hear that they're doing new excavations? And like, oh yeah, I heard that, but I heard that there's like some areas that aren't like safe and they had to stop. And we eventually get to this one room that we are claiming is the exit. And there's a giant arrow that points up saying out, but we purposely stand over that. And we're just like, I don't recognize this place. Do you recognize this place? No, I don't, I don't recognize this place. I wonder if this is the new area. And then we're like, well, we went the other way and that area looked collapsed. Like, where are we supposed to go? And we're, we're not freaking them out in the fact that like we don't know where to go because you could go all the way back, but that's three and a half hours of going all the way back after you were just crawling on your hands and knees uh, for about two hours of that. And so they start freaking out, and then we eventually tell them, like, after they start, like, realizing this is going to be awful, uh, we already feel like we have arthritis in our knees and wrists at this point, and we show them, hey, this is actually the way out, and I remember when I told my dad that, it's, you're, like, climbing up a straight wall, my dad was like, I'll take the three and a half hours back, he, he does not like heights, so he wanted to take that way back, but we eventually got him up, but the point of that is that if you've been through some, uh, somewhere before, if you've been through something, you can help lead someone through that. I know that I personally, if I went into that cave by myself for the first time, I would not know where to go. But after I've been through it about three times, I feel pretty confident that I could go all the way through. And I'm not necessarily going to do that. Uh, I'm going to, yeah, my wife is shaking her head. No, you're not doing that. Uh, but uh, my friend has been through there like 20 times, and he led us through there perfectly fine. Uh, so it just remember, if you've been through something, don't be afraid to share that because someone might be going through that exact same situation. You might be able to help them lead them out of that storm. However, one thing that I want us to remember while we're in these storms is to be vigilant about witnessing to those who are around us. These storms kind of bring us into new areas of life, and a lot of times we find ourselves around people that we would have never met before. And we often overlook that because we're so focused on getting out of this storm of just saying, I'm going to duck my head and try to get out of this as quick as possible, that we miss all the people that are new around us that we could be sharing the gospel with. If we look at Paul, Paul was under house arrest for two years for doing God's work. And as I said, he, he could have complained, he could have sulked about this, but instead he said, no, I'm going to rejoice and I'm going to share the gospel with all of those around me. I'm going to share the gospel with them. And he, he pretty much said, like, what are they going to do? They, like, they have to listen to me. They're, all the other prisoners, they're under house arrest as well. 
They can't go anywhere. They can't walk away. The guards, it's their job to stay there. They can't go away either. Hey, the person that's coming and bringing messages back and forth, I can share the gospel with them, and then hopefully they can go out and share the gospel with others. So instead of sulking, he rejoiced in it because he knew he could proclaim the gospel. He knew that unless he was under that house arrest, he probably would not have been able to minister to all of those people there. He probably would not have been able to effectively minister to those unless God brought him to that new situation. And now, I know we don't like going through these situations. No one likes going through storms of life, but we do. We go through storms sometimes because of those uh, reasons why I mentioned above, but also we live in a fallen world where situations happen beyond our control. However, we don't just need to sit here and complain about it. We're supposed to meet these storms head on. If we look in James 1, 2 through 4, it says, Count it all a joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So these trials are supposed to be building up our faith. And so when these little storms come in our life, we're supposed to be pointing back to Jesus, looking back at Jesus and saying, Jesus, I trust in you through these little storms so that even when those big storms come, we're firmly rooted in Jesus, knowing, hey, Jesus has got my back. I'm trusting in him. And I know a lot of us have gone through storms before. It is hard to be joyful in the storms. It is very hard because I know this verse, and even when those storms come, this is not what I first think of, even though I wish I could say that. I know probably one of the first biggest storms in my life uh, that happened uh, when I was in college was I was about to graduate. I was about a week out from graduating. I had a job lined up back home, uh, and I was really excited because I had just been studying to become a youth pastor for so long. I had interviewed with several churches, and I decided on this church back home. And I got a call uh, a week out from graduation, and uh, it was the pastor of the church that I was going to, and he said, hey, uh, we got some news. The middle school pastor that you were placing, uh, that church actually decided they don't want him anymore, and instead of, like, making sure that he doesn't have a job, we're going to honor him and give his job back so we don't have a place for you anymore. And I was like, well, that's great, because now... I've already said no to all these other churches. All of my other classmates have gotten those jobs that I would have wanted if I didn't commit to this uh, church. So now I didn't know what to do. I was, I was very upset. I sulked a lot. And uh, I remember I was talking with my mom, and she just said, Jeremy, have you considered being a GA before? And if you don't know what a GA is, it's a graduate assistant. They pretty much get free tuition for their master's while also helping out a professor in the undergraduate studies. And I told my mom, I was like, mom, I, they want the best of the best. And even though I got mostly A's in my class, um, which, I mean, it's, it's student ministry class. If you got less than an A, there's something wrong there. <laughs> so... Uh, um, but I, I told him, like, I wasn't the best of the best. I, I'm a procrastinator, so I know I didn't do the best that I could on all my projects. And so I was like, I haven't even considered it. And my mom was like, all right, well, just pray about it. Pray that God will just show you where to go. And I was like, all right, mom, I will. And honestly, I probably didn't. I was too much in a sulking mood that I was just like, I'm, I'm upset. I don't want to do anything right now. And I think it was about two days 
later, one of my professors came up to me at the beginning of class and was like, hey, can I talk to you outside? And honestly, I thought I was in trouble. A professor has never asked me to step outside and talk to him. And the only reason why I thought he would be was because I did something wrong. So I go outside and he was just like, Jeremy, um, have you ever considered being a GA before? And I was like, I haven't, but I'm willing to if you're offering. And he was like, yeah, you're just, you're always here on time. You always turn your work in. So we just love that consistency. So yeah, we would love to offer you uh, a spot to be a GA. And it was awesome because then I could con continue my education uh, while being around a lot of my friends that were still at college at that time. And looking back, I can see that God had a purpose for all that because then I was able to continue job searching where I was eventually able to find uh, the first church that I was able to work at, which also I actually met my wife at. So I'm like, God, that's awesome. Thank you for denying me that first job because it all worked out. And so what, what's great about that is now, after I can see all of that in hindsight, many years later, when I'm going through a storm now, I can look back at that first storm and be like, God, I remember I was upset, I was angry, but you had something in place the entire time. You had something working throughout this whole time. And so even though I don't know what's working now, I need to be trusting in you because I knew you had my back then, so you have my back now. And so when we're going through those storms, we need to remember what God has done for us in the past instead of just focusing on the present situation and how bad it is. And so the next time you're walking through a storm and you can't figure out why, just rejoice. Just say, God, I, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm going to rejoice in what you will do. I know what you have done, and I'm going to rejoice. Ask God what he wants you to do in that storm. Ask him, God, who, who do you want me to talk to? Who do you want me to speak to about this storm in my life? Who is someone that I could share the gospel with during this time that I normally wouldn't be able to? Ask God to show you where you're supposed to go and what you're supposed to do. And just look at the new faces that are around you due to the circumstances that have brought you here. The second thing that I want to go over is the gospel proclaimed. Christians are supposed to proclaim the gospel at all times and in all situations. It doesn't matter what our situation is, we're supposed to be sharing the gospel. I don't have the verse up here for you guys, but in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so this does not say go when you feel like it or go when everything is going your way, when everything is lining up, then you can go and share the gospel. It is saying go and tell. And our circumstances should not reflect whether or not we are sharing the gospel or not. It is to be proclaimed boldly without any fear to those God has placed beside us. And so just, just look at Paul's life. Whenever I feel nervous or intimidated about sharing the gospel, I try to look to Paul. Because Paul was beaten, he was tortured, he was stoned, he was imprisoned, and now he's under house arrest for proclaiming the gospel. Most people probably would have stopped after that first beating. Most people probably would have been like, all right, I get the message, 
I'm not proclaiming the gospel anymore here. But what Paul does is Paul proclaims the gospel. Then people come, beat him up, throw stones at him. And he's like, he just brushes it off and be like, all right, go into the next person. He says, I'm still going to boldly proclaim the gospel and stand up for Jesus. And this is an area that the church is really struggling with. Evangelism has dropped dramatically over the past several years. And I'm not going to call anyone out here, but when was the last time you talked to someone about your faith? Was it within the past week or the past month? Was it in the past year? Many of us don't like sharing the gospel because we, we've made it over, overly complicated. And we feel like we have to sell the gospel to someone. We feel like we need to uh, make sure that we make it good enough so that people will be like, oh yeah, that's something that I want. But really, the gospel sells itself. There's nothing that we can add to it that will make it any better. We still have to share it with others, but we just don't need to overly overcomplicate it. And some of us kind of see it as, uh, you know those people in the mall that like you're walking down the aisles and those people come up to you and they're like, hey, can I ask you a couple questions? And they start asking those questions whether or not you said yes or no. A lot of times we, we kind of look at it as of like, hey, we have to stop them. We have to like get out this spiel so that we can say, hey, I shared the gospel with them. Or we kind of think that, like, hey, let me just say these, like, three verses in a row. Uh, the Romans Road, which the Romans Road is great. But a lot of the times when I've uh, watched people new sharing their faith, they've a lot of times, like, they've shared the gospel, and now they're like, all right, are you going to accept Jesus or not? Like, right now on this spot, you have to decide. And that's a big decision for someone. A lot of the times it doesn't actually end up that way. A lot of the times... Uh, they have to think on it. There's a lot of different factors that go onto it. And even though there have been many uh, cases where people have just like shared a couple of verses, shared their story, and the person's like, yes, sign me up. I would love that. A lot of the times people don't do that. And I don't want people to think that that's the expectation that you're going into seeing this. Because that's not really what evangelism is about. Sharing your faith doesn't impose itself on others, leaving them feel used or resented or resentful, uh, and invites them to step beyond a superficial friendship where no one really listens and to head towards deep spiritual relationships. I remember uh, when I was living at in another apartment, there was this guy named Doug that uh, was my upstairs neighbor, and our, do our dogs were on the same schedule of going out to the park. So often I was able to talk to this guy, and uh, he told me that he was an atheist, and I just, we, we just talked. We talked a lot. We talked about a lot of things. I learned that his dream is to be, uh, is to quit his job and to get a food truck and just make grilled cheese sandwiches. That was his dream. He wanted to have a grilled cheese food truck, and he, that's all he wanted to do. Uh, but as I, I talked to him, I, I told him about the church that I was going to. I told him about things that were going on in my life. And one day he just came up to me and he said, Hey, you know I'm an atheist, but m my mom is really sick right now. Would you just pray for her? I was like, absolutely, man. I would love to. And we were able just to step into a new area of just like, Hey, even though I've, I've talked to him about the gospel, uh, even though he doesn't believe it, he's now making an effort to say like, even though I don't believe this, this could be real, 
And so I'm going to ask this guy that I know to pray for my mom. And that's just one step closer to evangelism. And so I, I, I don't want us to think it has to be this giant jump. I personally love building relationships first and sharing the gospel with them because it's so much more meaningful coming, to, coming from a friend rather than a random person on the street coming up to someone sharing the gospel. It's an, it's an approach that makes it safe for people to confide in you and to trust in you with the truth of what's going on in their life so that your interactions with them become uh, peaceful to them. It's not something that they're anxious about. It's not something that they're worried about. Because I don't know if this has happened to you uh, whenever you've said that you're a Christian, but for pastors, we get this a lot of like when we meet someone new, we're talking with them, and they're telling us what they're doing. Then they'll ask, like, what do you do for a living? And they're like, oh, I'm a pastor at church. And they're like, oh. And they kind of clam up a little bit because they're like, oh, I can't act this way around you anymore. And that even happened to, I was with uh, the Tattnall soccer team over uh, the past semester, just getting to know them, helping out as best as I could. And uh, it was funny. At first, they were very tight-lipped. They didn't really want to talk that much. But as I got to hang out with them a little bit more, they started showing who they truly were. And I was actually able to have some good conversations with them. But Christians can't just sit back and do nothing and be timid uh, about whether or not something happens or whether or not someone might disagree with them or whether or not you might know the answer or not. It is perfectly acceptable to say, I don't know to an answer if someone has a question for you which would be awesome because that gives you the opportunity to get back with them about what you learned about. So not only did you learn something, but you also have a follow-up appointment with them as well. But if someone is calling themselves a Christian, then that means they are willing to suffer for Christ by boldly proclaiming the gospel to all of those around them, regardless of the circumstances that they might be in. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and also to the Greek. We should not be ashamed of the gospel, but be proclaiming it. Jesus has saved us from an eternal debt that we could not pay. And so how can we not be joyful when we hear this news that we have been saved from this eternal debt? I know that I try to tell the students and everyone I talk to, a lot of people that are in church now have grown up in church. And if you haven't, that's awesome. I'm glad you're here. But I know a lot of students that feel like their salvation story is inadequate of just saying, hey, I, I grew up in the church. I got saved at a VBS or I got saved at a young age. And yeah, that, that's about it. And then they hear someone come up on stage and say, man, I was the worst of the worst. I was doing so many drugs. I hit rock bottom. I was an alcoholic and my life got turned completely around. Uh, and now I serve Jesus. And they always say, man, that salvation story is so much better than mine. And what I tell them is you're missing the whole point. The, the whole point is not about what you did before. It's about the fact that God has saved you from that eternal death. You were both going to the same destination, but God stepped in and saved it, and that's what makes it awesome. The, the person that has the, the salvation story of, I grew up in the church, and I got saved at a young age, was still saved from the same death that that person was going to as well. And so I don't want us to ever feel like our story is inadequate, because it's not about ourselves. It's about talking about what God has done for us. 
So no matter what storm we might be in, whether we are in life, uh, no matter what storm we're in in life, we should be proclaiming the gospel to those around us. And so the next time you're having a rough day, maybe you can't find your wallet, maybe you didn't get a promotion at the job you wanted, maybe you're running late for work, proclaim the goodness of God to those around you. Remind yourself and others of how God has saved us from an eternal debt that only he can pay. Because how would it look to others when we are only proclaiming the gospel when things are going good in our lives? It's not going to look good. It, it looks like we're just kind of saying like, oh yeah, my life is going great. Now I can do what God wants me to do. But how much better would it look if you're at a low point in your life and you share that with someone, but yet you still share the gospel with them? People are going to see that and be like, wow, this person is really focused on God because when things are going bad on our life, in our lives, we often look away from God, turn to ourselves and say, I need to get myself out of here. I'm relying on myself and my own understanding. But it would look so good if even when we're broken and hurting, we proclaim the gospel throughout all circumstances. And it will mean so much more to people when we show our brokenness instead of hiding it and putting on a face and acting like everything is fine. Going into the third point, Rejoice persistently. It's something that we kind of talked about a little bit before. But we should be rejoicing in all circumstances. Even though Paul is a prisoner trapped from the outside world, he is still rejoicing in where God has placed him. All he cares about is whether or not the gospel is proclaimed. Just recapping verse 18, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. That's all Paul cares about. He just wants the gospel to be known. He says, I, I just want the gospel to be proclaimed. And there's nothing that brings Paul more joy than telling others about the gospel and how God has come to save humanity from sin, of how Jesus died on the cross for your sins. All other worldly joys do not compare to this feeling that Paul gets when he shares it with others. And so many times we take for granted what Jesus actually did for us. A lot of times we don't like talking about hell, but in reality, Jesus talked about it, and I feel like we need to talk about it as well. My old student pastor, uh, Ben Trueblood, wrote in this book that was specifically for students, um, but I felt like it could apply to everyone. He said, we rob students or we rob people of the joy of their salvation when they don't know what they've been saved from and the reconciling work of Christ means much more when a student understands the depth of brokenness and the relationship that needed repair. Understanding that we were one time an enemy of God who was and is and will be pouring out his wrath on eternity but yet we were saved by this fate, by Jesus interceding on our behalf, by sacrificing his life in order to cover our sins and our debt. And a lot of times we, we almost want to sugarcoat the gospel and just make it seem like, hey, if you believe in Jesus, good things are going to come your way. But really, that's not how it is. That's not what it is. We need to tell people in a loving way. I, I want to make sure we say that. Uh, I want to make sure we say this. Uh, lovingly, 
but that you are going to suffer an eternal death. But Jesus has saved us from that, granting us eternal spiritual life with him. And I know that makes us pretty uncomfortable because a lot of times we don't talk about the gospel. And that's what needs to change. It, it was so fluent for Paul because of how often he actually talked about it. And we need to get to that point in our lives where we just share the gospel and it doesn't bother us. It doesn't make us uncomfortable. We just need to do it because that's what God told us to do. And I'll even admit, there, I'm nervous at times when I share the gospel. Because I'm in that boat of like, I don't know what the other person is going to say. I don't know what their reaction is going to be. I've gotten a lot of different reactions over the decades uh, that I've been telling others. Um, and it, it's, pretty, it's pretty interesting. It's pretty great. It, it's almost exciting to see what the person is going to say. Uh, I've had some people that have like wanted to accept the gospel on the spot. I've had someone that was just like, all right, I have one question that no pastor has ever been able to answer. If we're all God's children, why is Jesus so special? And I was like, man, that's an easy one. That's like a t-ball right there. And so I loved it, but you just never know what you're going to get. But even though there might be that anxiety, there might be that nervousness, we still have to share the gospel. So I just want us to remember this spiritual truth every day. That you were an enemy of God, but now you are a co-heir with Christ. Every morning we need to remind ourselves of that. Because we're, we're comfortable at where we're at. We're comfortable with what we are doing in our lives. But we don't remember, for those who might have gotten saved at a young age, we don't remember that we were once the enemy of God because we had that sin. But now that we know that Jesus has died for our sins, that we now get to share eternity with God, we have that joy, and we should be proclaiming that joy to others. Even when things are going bad in our lives, even when things are going uh, horribly wrong, we should still remember, hey, even though this moment is temporary, I know in the future I'm going to spend eternity with God, and in that I rejoice. We're supposed to be standing out to the world. Other people should know that we are disciples of Christ with how we live. And I can tell you, people will notice if you are joyful in the storms of life. This means proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to all of those around us. This means rejoicing in all circumstances, good or bad, because our joy comes from Jesus, who has saved us from that eternal debt that we could not pay. So even though we may feel like we're in storms and we have no clue where to go, what to do, or how to get out, we should be trusting in God. Because God knows exactly what's going on. He knows exactly what to do. He knows exactly what's coming up. So pray and ask for God to lead you through this storm. Pray for God to show you where you're supposed to go, what you're supposed to do, what you're supposed to say. Allow God to place you beside people that you never thought you would have been able to witness to. And share the gospel with them boldly. Share your experiences with them. Share your situations with them. Share your heart with them. Share with them how Jesus has saved you from that dead and how he can save them as well. I know it can be difficult but it's something that we have to do. The more you do it, the easier it will get. And finally, 
Show joy in all circumstances that you're in. Our lives may seem to go up and down depending on how our life is going, but there are things that never change. The first and most important fact is that the first and most important fact that never changes is that you have been covered by Jesus' blood. You are no longer an enemy of God, but a brother and sister in Christ. So proclaim this joy that can only come from the gospel so that they too may share in this experience and joy to the Lord.